and welcome to Lore Watch, a roundtable freeform discussion about lore in the games of Blizzard Entertainment. I'm Ann Stickney, one of several lore enthusiasts over at Blizzard Watch, and I've got both of my wonderful co-hosts with me today. First up, he needs no real explanation. It's Joe Perez. Hey, Joe, how's it going? Oh, hi. I was unaware that I did not need an explanation. That makes me feel great. Yeah, um... That was probably an awkward introduction. It wasn't as awkward as last week, because last week was pretty great. Last week was just all over the place. Anyway, uh, we've also got with us our other co-host, and that would be Matt Rossi. Hey, Rossi, how you doing? Who, who the heck was that other person who just spoke? Could you explain that? I don't know who that was. <laughs> He's your co-worker. <laughs> I need a much more of an explanation. You guys can't just throw people at me and expect me to remember them. <laughs> After like seven, eight years of knowing them. I mean, come on. I've only been in a guild with that guy. I don't know how I could possibly remember. I was going to say, Rossi, you are like not of an age where you're supposed to be going senile or anything yet, so uh-huh, come on. If I was going to wait. <laughs> I'm right. not holding on. So last week we started talking about 8.3 and the stuff that was in 8.3, and we kind of went off the rails a lot, but like in a good way, and um, barely touched on all of the stuff that was found. So we're going to talk 8.3 again in today's show. Which, again, a reminder for those of you that are avoiding spoilers, if you don't want to hear anything about 8.3 at all, you might as well just go ahead and hit stop right now and come back in a few weeks when you feel like you want to listen to it. We don't care. We won't hold it against you. It's perfectly okay. Um, That's your warning. So, 5, 4, 3. Right. Uh, 8.3. We talked last week. We talked a lot about... um, the stuff that was going on with the blood and Sylvanas and all this other, the Earth Mother, the Titans, I don't know. We went all over the place, you guys. It was fantastic, and it totally kind of blew my mind a little bit, which I love about these conversations. But I feel like this week I want to start out with talking about something that it's not necessarily in 8.3. It was data mined. That's all. It was just data mined along with 8.3, and that's the fact that... Every race and every allied race now has a Death Knight option. Mm -hmm. They have a Death Knight model, which is weird when you think about it, because the whole reason Pandaren couldn't be Death Knights is because they were created by the Lich King, and that all happened before we found Pandaria. And the whole reason you can't have, like, you know, Nightborn Death Knights is because Nightborns were behind a bubble for thousands of years, so they didn't even know what a Death Knight was. So it's... It's telling i mean i would disagree that it's weird it is telling that these are options and the thing is is it could be a couple of different things here we could be looking at oh it's a costume or a toy right it's a toy that turns you into a death knight no big deal or it could mean something's happening and i want to talk about that so i'm just gonna let you guys off the leash go ahead start talking joe you're saying stuff i was gonna say the, the the easiest way to look at it at least from my perspective is that We've literally been waging war on each other in like that was the major story point for how long at this point now in this expansion. And with last expansion, with the Lich King becoming a little more involved after the Death Knights, you know, started did their thing with him, whatever, it would make sense that there's all these fresh bodies laying around. And if you're a general trying to bolster your army for what is to come uh, or whatever fight that we don't know is happening yet, that the Lich King might have an inkling towards. You have all these wonderful warriors you can then raise from all these races that have been involved in these conflicts now. So, I mean, it's, I hate to say it like this, but it's sort of like the Lich King upcycling program. Uh, 
but it makes sense that like if these were going to be player player class options in the future why it would be happening now when it didn't happen before i love it how raising armies of the undead has been just sort of like classified as upcycling too (laughs) (laughs) i mean we have an example of this exact thing happening go for it rossi Uh, in in legion in legion we have the the uh lich king sends you the death lord also known as the cause of and solution to all of the scourge's problems um Mm -hmm. He sends you to go raise the the new four horsemen that he wants to create, uh, an elite within the Death Knight Order. And the Death Knights, he cho- the people he chooses include Sally Whitemane, um, General Nazgrim, Thoras Trollbane, and Tyrion Fordring. Three of those four died after the Third War. Um, Thoras Trollbane died before it. So these four are now major league figures within the death Knight order, except of course for, for uh, Tyrion Fordring. I'm sorry if I just scared a bunch of paladins. Uh, <laughs> Tyrion Fordring did not get raised. We went, I, I mean, I played the, the, the quest. We went in to get him and we kicked the, the butt out of everybody. Like I, I smacked around uh, the, the, a pony bright mane and uh, who's the other one, the, the blood elf. I don't remember her, but you know, you know the one I'm talking Lady about. Lady Liadrin. Thank you. Yeah. We slapped uh-huh. her around pretty good too. I'm really role-playing my death knight for in this conversation. It's kind of funny. Um, <laughs> anyway, got in there and Tyrion, not only did Tyrion not want to get raised, the, the Holy Light sort of just destroyed uh, Darian, uh, you know, Darian Mograine for the temerity of trying to do it. So we had to beat retreat. And upon doing so, the Lich King was like, ah, Darian will do. And raised Darian as the fourth horseman. So, yeah, so Darian, Darian's one of the four horsemen now which puts him firmly under the Lich King's control. So, you know, I remember that time Darian, Darian Mograine rebelled against the Lich King. Yeah. Now he works for the new Lich King. It's so sad. Darian's story is one. I, I wrote a know your lore like a year ago, a couple years ago about Darian in particular, because his story is pretty fascinating in terms of where he came from and what he's become especially now in the face of you know what happened in legion and everything he's become the thing that he was trying to save his father from mm-hmm. and and that's really kind of and that's terrible yeah anyway no but moving anyway, on so with more cheerful things go ahead rossi the, the point being that this is something the lich king has definitely shown himself willing to do he is willing to, to the current lich king and capable of doing willing and capable of raising whole new death knights whenever it suits his purposes. He now has control over the entire order of the Ebon Blade because mm-hmm. between the fact that your Death Knight is kind of no longer the Death Lord or more accurately, the Death Lord position is sort of doesn't really do anything because the Lich King is under is directly in control. And also people like Darian are now directly working for the Lich King. You've got the Four Horsemen. You've got, there's a, there's a quest when you're doing the quest to get your mount. The, the the Death Knight Mount Quest from Legion, point where one of the the liches that works inside the uh, hall comes up to you and goes, "Oh yeah, we've to- we finished installing that communicator and that the Lich King wanted." He didn't ask you, he didn't tell you he was going to do it. He told them to do it and they did it. So the Lich King now has direct control over the order. They just obey him. It started out. We started Legion with the order being like, "Ah, we don't really trust him," but we're going to work with him. And Darian was one of the biggest. Yeah. He was one of the biggest, like, most cautious people in that aspect. He was like, I don't know if we want to work with that guy, but I guess we don't yeah. exactly have a choice here. And now it's gotten to the point where every all four of the, the, the horsemen directly report to the Lich King. 
and ev- the rank and file and the ebon and the uh, ebon blade are doing the lich king's bidding essentially over the course of legion bolvar not bolvar i shouldn't say bolvar i should say the lich king because that's who he is at this point but well essentially it, it, over the course of legion he performed this very quiet coup of the death knight order that nobody was really aware of and even the death knights they they kind of they didn't talk about it it was kind of like a hush hush thing and obviously you know they aren't going to talk about the rest about it with the rest of azroth because they would be very unhappy about this you know what i mean um so i don't know it's like that whole death knight order hall story chain thing was telling one story that death knight players took and said yeah that's interesting and then at the at the same time there may have been a very a deeper story going on that we didn't really get to just yet but with these data mind models it feels like we're about to yeah and there's more to it go for like, it uh, one of the things that that was data mind is this this is in 8.3 so spoilers guys we've already given you a spoiler warning here's your second one at the end apparently jaina and anduin have a conversation and that conversation mm-hmm. includes a discussion of telling a talia four dragon well, the truth about her father which Anduin is not entirely sure he wants to do. Anduin's like he says to Jaina, "Look, you and I are, are privy to what happened. You and I know what's going on up there. But most we we swore we wouldn't tell people. We promised." And Jaina says, "One of the things you you're going to learn as you're a king is to, that maybe sometimes you need to know when to break your promises. You need to know when it's the time to do that." And so he's like, "I, I you know, I, she shouldn't find out. I don't want to tell her." He goes, "Sooner or later, she probably is going to find out." And it's going to hurt if she finds out you lied to her. And that's the, the, the gist of the conversation between the two of them. Andrew doesn't say, okay, I'll tell her, but neither does he, you know, we're, we're now pretty much aware of what's going on in, the, in that Anduin knows that Bolvar is still up there. He knows Bolvar is the Lich King, that he is sitting on the And I mean, throne. he kind of had to. Yeah. And in addition to that, he knows one of the things they, the reason they're having the discussion about Talia and about the Lich King is because of Sylvanas. Yep. It's like, he feels that, you know, one of the things one with Sylvanas out there somewhere still doing whatever she's doing sooner or later, the Bolvar is going to become an issue sooner or later. He's going to be something. And that's, that ties into, I mean, that what is Bolvar doing? I mean, that that's the thing we don't really know. So the interesting, the interesting thing I think about the the machinations of the Lich King, though, too, just to, to circle back just a little bit, is that the people he's raising and the people he's putting in charge, he doesn't necessarily have to exert a whole lot of control over either. Like this is interesting for a few reasons, but particularly because it's Bolvar. Not only is he a great general, a great strategic mind, but he is a person whose name in life carried, I think, more weight than Arthas. It carried more, you know, for lack of a better term, uh, try, like people were more agreeable to him because of who he I was. I would say it didn't carry more weight necessarily with Arthas or, or than Arthas. I would say it carried more weight than Arthas, particularly with the people down in Stormwind. They well, were familiar but, with Bolvar, not so much Arthas. But I think it's more than that too, because look at the other ones, even if they didn't have direct Stormwind relations, That's right? That's true. That's true. I will it, give you that. So then you raise these soldiers, these ones that are used to serving and have concepts of honor, and you give them that little bit of free will or even complete free will, and then they find out they're going to be serving Bolvar. 
they're a lot more inclined to do whatever's going on because, well, it's Bolvar. He's cool. He knows what he's doing. He was an honorable person. He he knows what, you know, he, he treated his people with respect and had the love and admiration of like an entire people because he was just a really nice guy and knew his business and was good at his job. And that's what makes it a little more interesting because Arthas was brute force, right? He didn't really earn that same reputation. So when he was the Lich King, he just forced everybody to do what he wanted with this exertion of, of extreme will and power, which is why you have situations like Sylvanas, because she was aware fair, of though, what was going on. To, to, well, one thing, to be fair, Sylvanas rebelled against the Lich King before the Lich King was Arthas. Sure. And the the, the weird thing here is we're talking, but we're saying that Bolvar had same more, thing, though, too. Bolvar's name had more weight than Arthas. I categorically disagree. The, the problem isn't that his name had more weight. It's that they were different people. Fair. Bolvar, as you pointed out, is a general and a he's a, he's a leader it, of troops in 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 war. I, and, I mean, Arthas comes up came up as a prince and a paladin. I think maybe maybe saying more weight was the wrong way to say it. I think it's it's he resonates better with the people that are currently involved. I don't think in it's that he resonates better with them. You're focusing on their view towards him. You should be looking at his view towards them because. The difference between someone who is raised to be a king and someone who comes up a general is the difference between, you know, my subjects and my forces. Generals look at their armies as resources and they try really, you know, that's the whole idea of never leave him. Don't leave a man behind. It's not just because of honor and duty. It's because of resources and how do how do you use a resource and when do you use a resource? Arrows in the quiver. Right, yeah. but what in I'm a, saying in a lot of ways, Bolvar is a better match against Sylvanas than Arthas ever was. I think I think that as well, and I think my point wasn't so much that like I'm not trying to focus on their view of him, but I think it plays into it because we don't know the limitations of the mm-hmm. Lich King's power. We've never known it, and we've made assumptions in the past that the overexertion of Arthas in certain places weakened his grasp on certain parts of his forces, and before him, Nerzul. Like you have these these people that were very brute forcey about it, expending their power in different ways. And I think that plays into this because if he doesn't have to exert as much power to keep things in line, he can he th- that's better for him. Right. And so the people that he's choosing, I think, make a difference. And I think you're right that it's how he views them. But I think it's because he knows how they view him or how they would potentially view him. Like, he's not just raising people that weren't used to serving. He's not just raising, you know, a random farm peasant or a, or a noble or somebody who is used to being in charge of everything. These are all people that have served. Even if they have nobility or nobility in their lineage, they served. They served under somebody. And even if they had a place of command, they still had superiors that they followed those orders. So it, it just seems logical to me, at least in that regard. If, if that makes a little more sense, like I think it's a mutually beneficial thing for him. I think you're right. I think it is viewing resources, but it's effectively managing those resources. I can trust these four and how they view me to make sure they do what I want them to do without having to keep them against their will, without having to trap them within their own bodies and force them to do what I want them to do. They'll just do it. And okay, one thing to, to, I want to mention before we go back to this, I don't want to interrupt you. I just want to throw this no, sure. to think about. They've also data mined new Death Death Knight swords. They're called Swords mm-hmm. of the Ebon Blade. Yep. And there are four of them. 
there's the unholy blade of the ebon blade, the crimson blade of the ebon blade, the freezing blade of the ebon blade. Now, so far, those three work with, you know, standard death knight. Blood spec. unholy frost. Yeah. Fourth one is the burning blade of the ebon blade. Mm-hmm. And as we all know, the burning blade was a legion association. They were part of the old horde. And they ended up being one of the names that the warlocks went by. And that's tied into the Argus Wake because we're, at one point we're told that the Argus Wake and the the Burning Blade are one the same thing. Uh, when you This is again back in classic. But if you go and do the whole thing where you go down and you're like, who are all these different groups? And Thrall's like, they're all the same. The Burning Blade, the the uh, the Argus Wake, they're, you know, these all these groups. I love how this data bind stuff just like directly correlates to things that we were just talking about. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, if if we've got Bolvar out there, he's recruited his four horsemen, and he's got these new like these new swords have been data mined. There's four of them. Three go with each spec, and then there's a fourth that it seems to be related to the Burning Blade and to the to warlock magic. Is it possible? I'm not saying we're going to get a new spec, but are we going to start seeing fell Death Knights? And well, here's maybe... my question, okay? Is it the Burning Blade in reference to the Legion and the Burning Blade and all the stuff that we're familiar with? Or is it the Burning Blade because it's referring to the Lich King, who used to be a man who was eternally burning because of the Red Dragon's fire? I That's think another it... possibility, yeah. Absolutely. But I mean, Morgrain was at the and cinematic of legion when we expended all of the power of our artifacts he was on the yeah, ship he was if you weren't a death soaking, knight. if you weren't a death knight yeah soaking up all of that energy so and if you are a death knight what did you do with your relic like we you, you used your artifact to do it if you were the death knight right but what i mean is what did you do after that so i think you're onto something rossi with the the sort of the the in like interlacing of fell into it because it be what was sargeras it absolutely could be fell energy. It could be, uh, it could absolutely be related to the the red dragon flight, or it could be a combination of both. Yep. Because we know full well that Bolvar has been going around raising red dragons. He got you to raise an yep. incredibly old, powerful one. Um, and he, you know, there's other death knights out there trying to do it too. Because we ran into another one in war in a battle for Azeroth. Yep. And if you're, you know, if you're a death knight, you even got to like him, you even get to fight that guy. And he's all, oh, I get it. You're jealous of me. So um, the death lord clearly does not have control over the death knights. For all that you're the death lord, they're no longer listening to you. Mm-hmm. And why would they when the when the actual lich king is controlling the entire group? Not to but mention, to back... I mean, legion is over. The burning legion was defeated, so you don't need to be in charge anymore. And I think that goes back to something we've been talking about in terms of. Bolvar, I don't think it's just that Bolvar is doing things differently than Arthas or that he is seen differently than Arthas. I think part of the thing is, is that Bolvar understands delegation. Yes. Because as a general, you don't go fight everybody. You can't. You, know, you stay in back. You stay in the back. You have, a, you know, you have your troops and you command them. You lead them. That's what you do. It's not a question. Very rarely does someone lead from the front. It has happened in warfare. I was just reading about the Spartan general Brazidas and the Athenian strategos Cleon who met at Amphipolis, and they both ended up dead. And I mean, look at Varian. Yeah. When you lead from the front, you die, and then your people don't have a leader anymore. And that's the Lich King has not, not really been a lead from the front type, even, even when it was Arthas. Arthas did not lead from the front. He showed up from time to time. 
but he did not lead his his scourge into conflict from in front of it. He did, you know, he made people come through it to get to him. Uh, and Bolvar is much, much more of a general than Arthas was. Now, Bolvar obviously did lead his troops from the front to some degree. And what happened to him? <laughs> he got torched. Mm-hmm. So well, he got plagued, and then he got torched. Yeah, he he didn't have a good time of it. So I think it's it's a long. Some of the stuff you're saying is absolutely true, and I think it's even more so. This is all. If you're a strategist and you see a threat coming up, you see a threat to you, to to yourself coming up. You let that threat expend its energy on other forces mm-hmm. and other enemies as long as possible, while you build yourself up. And that's what I think we're looking at right now. I think we're going to see something. I, I think at this point, it's inevitable there will be some sort of death-related expansion coming oh, yeah. after this. And that expansion is going to involve the Death Knights, and it's going to involve more Death Knights than we've currently got. Like and I think get... I think it's also going to involve Vol'jin and that whole plot that's still not resolved. Yeah, absolutely. I agree with you that, too. I also think it's going to tie in the Drost in Throws. Yes, I agree, because that's another thread uh, that has not been completed. Yeah, and it's also going to let me i was trying to figure out how to put this for a long time we learned in this expansion that druidism has a necromantic component yep yeah which is because weird death is death is part of of life yeah it's life not weird it makes sense anything. yeah death and life are the same you know they're two sides of the same thing i shouldn't it's say that it's weird that it's part of it i should specify it's weird that we never really looked into this before now yeah and when we have Taronda going to Nordrasil. In in uh in Battle for Azeroth we saw that that in in the uh Drusvar there's the tree that the the Drust use to reach into the other world, to Thros mm-hmm. specifically, which is clearly some kind of necromantic place. And now an entire world tree just died. So it's interesting to think about the possible relationship that might have and what we might see druids doing in the next expansion. Especially now that we've got Zandalari and Kultir and Druids, and the Kultir and Druids are clearly tied to death. I mean, look at them. They're like driftwood in corpse forms. Lots of bones. Yep. Uh, lots of lots of twigs. So if we're going to do the Wicker Punk Druids, I think it makes sense that the next expansion is going to tie into that to oh. a degree, and I definitely think it will. I think it's going to be a major player, too. And I think for all the reasons you list, plus we still have Helia out there as well, which is a, another unresolved thread. And I've heard a couple a couple people have, have interacted with me on Twitter and saying, oh, you know, we haven't seen anything from her. It's like, go do the island expeditions. Go look at some of the stuff you pick up. Like, there is literally rumblings of her not gone. And we don't know the extent of what we did to her. Like, we literally killed her twice. They, last they, they twice. very specifically, when you get that item and you take it to, um, oh my gosh, what's the name of the place? Begins with a V. I don't know. Anyway, the town. <laughs> The town. I don't remember the town name. Up in Stormhine. But like when you take that little thing to them, the guy there very specifically tells you, oh, yeah, no, she's not dead. You can't. Yeah. You can't kill her. You can't kill death. That would be weird. <laughs> you know, it's he's like, she's just laying but, low but, for now. But that's it. She's so Valdestal. tied to death. Valdestal. Valdestal. Thank yeah. you. Thank you. Thank you. But yeah, but you're but that's the thing. Like, she's so tied to death. And they've spent so long in this current expansion, in Battle for Azeroth, revolving around death. And I'm not just talking about Buam Samdi. Like, that, that's just no, one little aspect side, of it. No, because the Alliance side, 
The Alliance side had Thros, which is yep. obviously tied. And the whole thing with the Drust having used turned themselves into constructs, but as their forces died in war, they just took those souls and made constructs yep. out of them. That's like a whole thing with the Drust. When when the uh, the whole thing with the with the witches in Drustvar, they're not really witches. They're actually you know Drust agents. They're using Drust magic, and it's all about you know breaching the boundary between life and death and using spirits as like animating forces. Yeah. And, and when you're, when you're reestablishing the order of witch hunters, like that whole quest, which was, I thought was brilliantly fun. Um, you're learning that it's not just about burning witches at the stake. It's about guarding that barrier between life and death. And like, that's the whole reason that they were founded in the first place. Like there, there, there was too much setup for that not to continue on and we are not getting there was a lot of stuff that was written about that as far as like background material and that kind of thing and there was too much fleshing out done for it not to have an impact somewhere later down the road and too much planning with like with the vulgin quest as well like when you talked about it like i mentioned it earlier but like that went on for a lot of patches like every time there was a new patch there was another leg of that quest for the horde i mean i still have his urn in my backpack but like there's no way we're not revisiting this. Yeah, and I mean, I I keep going back to the Drust because, first off, the Drust look very much like Vrykul. Mm-hmm. And that's something that I've always thought was interesting. And we know that there were, like, there were Vrykul that came down with um, Tyr and the ones from uh, Arcadis and uh, Iron Aya. We, we know that there were some that came down, and some of them became the ancestors of the people of Lordaeron because they were guarding the uh, they were guarding the tomb of the of Tyr, and they became humans from Lordaeron. And others, we don't know where they went. And that's the thing is like, if you look where Drust Drust is, where the Drustvar is, where Kaltiris is, it's just off the coast. It would not be a very long trip. It's not very far away from, for instance, Stormheim. And Stormheim is not very far away from those areas, and it's also not very far away from Nord from Northrend. Especially Which is if where you most have, of the Rykul ended up. Especially if you have access to magics or knowledge of Titan stuff. Like you yeah. can you can go pretty far. And there's the whole thing about the Drust the way the Drust were living. Um the the fact that they fought, you know, they fought uh Naga, they fought things that looked like gnomes. Mm-hmm. Um the Drust were living there and had been living there for who knows how long. And when they began losing the war and, and uh Gorak Tull began using rituals to pull their spirits back to the point where, to this day, the Drust are dead. Like, as a people, they're dead. But their spirits are still trying to return to the physical world right now. That's what that whole storyline is. It's the Drust trying to come back. And we stopped them from doing it this time, but even while that was going on, Jaina could get kidnapped and taken to to, to Thros. And that implies that you can come and go from Thros. So they could try it again. There's nothing stopping Gorak Tool from trying to come back. I mean, sure, we kill him in, in that encounter, but so what? He was already dead. Yep. He'd already been dead for thousands of years. It doesn't. He's, he can try again. And that's just one. Like Everything you're talking about with, with Vol'jin and who set Sylvanas on the throne and everything we talked about before about Helia, all of that's got to be something. We don't know what, but we know it's something. And we know Sylvanas' plans involve... All this death, like she's she's looking forward to us stopping. Oh, was yeah, like, thank you. I can't remember her name. Uh, she's she's looking forward to us stopping this off. She's looking forward to all the death it's going to cause because that's going to feed which, what, she, what she's planning even more. 
Which is also really interesting since isn't Nazoth like a self-made or self-proclaimed god of death? No, Yog Yog was. Was it Yog? Yeah, it was Yog. He even says, you know, the god of death, the true lord of death. You know, he it's Yog calls because himself a god. Because he was of kind death. of like offended by the fact that the Lich King mm, was like fair enough. king of the dead or whatever, and Yog's like, No, that's me. <laughs> and th- that's the thing about all this. It's like we have all these different I keep coming back to the fact that, you know, we, we don't seem to have ever had this this problem on Azeroth before Yashraj died. Before um, Amanthul ripped him out of the planet, we didn't seem to have this problem. So that's one of the things I keep coming up to is like when they made when they started ordering Azeroth to try and save uh, the, 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 the nascent Titan, the, the world soul, and they created, for instance, an Emerald Dream for it to serve as a backup, but also as a place where it's effectively its dreams could go and then they created the well of eternity to contain the wound and channel the 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 power that was leaking out back into the world is that when we got the shadowland that could is that where they come from the the seeming realm of death and the realm of the dead or what if the shadowland was created when azeroth you know was so close to death itself because we still don't know what happens when a titan really truly dies because technically they didn't die their spirits were just released but she's i mean there's there's lots of things we don't know. There's lots of lots of unknowns, but we do know that a lot of this stuff has been happening. I mean, one of the things that really gets me is Ulfar, the druid. The, he's a drust, and he's still Big bear. around. Yeah, he's still around now. How? Like, is it? Is he drawing from the tree in some way? Is he doing kind of what the the you know the Calderai did? Like, what? Why isn't Ulfar dead? It's been three thousand years. And if he is, in fact, like some sort of Rykul descendant type thing, even then, they weren't immortal. No, they died. That's why they had to have their king, you know, go into an endless sleep and be raised. That's why when you go to, uh, you know, Utgard Pinnacle, uh, Ymiron had died, you know, that he got raised. So there's there's some serious what's going on here. Like, Ulfar even says, I'm the last of the of the Drust Thorn Speakers. You say, one day my task will be over. I will return to the earth and a new high thorn speaker will rise to lead as the proper way of things. But that day has not yet come. And it's like, why hasn't it come? And, you know, that's, there's just a lot to this that we haven't really dealt with yet. But I definitely think uh, the, the Lich King's activity is spiking because of it. I think he is definitely, for lack of a better word, if we're going to have civil war among the dead, he is definitely going to be oh, yeah. power to be reckoned with amongst them. We and don't know where he stands it. on what side, but he's definitely going to be involved. We he's know that ready. he's not fond of Sylvanas. No, that's true. But he has less he has less onus against Sylvanas than, say, his predecessor did. Mm-hmm. Uh, and for that matter, she has less against him. But she is she was definitely upset to see him when she went up there. So there is seriously. There's just a lot to this that we have yet to see how it plays out, but I'm definitely, I'm of the opinion we're going to definitely, we're going to see the storyline that's been connecting this expansion. It's been weird too, because we've had the, the, the Horde Alliance war and we've had the, the old God thing, but underneath the surface throughout this entire expansion has been all this like tumult among the dead. It almost feels like what warlords of Draenor tried to do, but wasn't necessarily really successful at, they learned and did it here. What do you mean? Like, so there's this pervasive comment among the community uh, where, in general, WoW has these expansions where there's major story and then transitional expansions where 
yes, there's a story going on, but what's really happening is everything that's happening underneath setting up that's, future events. Yeah, that's kind of what they tried to do because they, they talked about starting right. to do that where they were like, Mists is a big full expansion and then Warlords is kind of transitioning. Exactly. Legion's and a leaving. big one. Battle for Azeroth is, in theory... But- but that's what we're starting to see here. And I think that's what we're talking about is like, yes, there's this story going on and there's been big story art here and there's been, whether you love it or hate it, it's there. And it's, I personally think good. I've had a very good time. This expansion, it doesn't feel disjointed and all these other undercurrents, like with the death stuff are so well done, touch the main story in such a great way, but I still think it's setting up for the, for, for future endeavors which is why I think like, I think Rossi is right on a lot of this. And I think it's really interesting to just uh, almost a non sequitur, but like how well it's crafted in this expansion versus past uh, experiences, because even those pieces support what's happening as far as the main storyline go in this expansion. But each one of those threads on their own can be pulled. And each one of those threads, I think will lead somewhere else. Even the stuff with Chromie, this expansion feeds into that. Like, it's just very interesting. Okay, so here's my question for the both of you. If we come down to some kind of thing where, like, you know, we were kind of idly mentioning, oh, yeah, it's like an undead civil war, that kind of thing. Do you think Bolvar's on our side or is he working on his own agenda? Do you think Bolvar is actually, like, working for the greater good or is Sylvanas the one that's doing so? Or who's the one that we should side with if there's this kind of war thing going on? What do you guys think? Kalia Menethal. I'm going to say something that a, fr- a friend of mine once said talking to me about something because we were, we were talking about somebody that we didn't like who did something we did and we were like saying, well, you know, uh, and someone said something to the effect of my enemies, the friend, the, the enemy of my enemy of my friend and my friend responded, no, the enemy of your enemy is your enemy's enemy and that's it. Yep. You don't, just because Sylvanas and, and Volvar are at cross purposes or seem to be at cross purposes doesn't make either one of them on our side. Sylvanas could care less about living people. Is Bolvar our enemy, though? Because Tyrion was the one who put him on that throne in the first place, specifically Tyrion's because he thought Bolvar could handle it. Just because Bolvar isn't our enemy doesn't make him our friend. Yep. And it doesn't mean he's working for us. And, and for that matter, we, there are other forces here that we don't know where they stand. Where's Bon Samdi in all this? Yep. Yeah. Who's, who's his master? We still don't know who his master is. Yeah, he's working for somebody. Who is it? Uh, what about Odin and... He, not only shadow, is he working shadow. for somebody, he's working for somebody, and he is not fond of Sylvanas. Again. Yeah. And meanwhile, there's Odin and Ayer. Yep. Ayer uh, is, the, is the head of the Valkyr who remained loyal to Odin. And Ayer is very definitely not fond of the Lich King. Nope. And the Lich King's... The, she takes the Lich King's having Valkyr as a personal affront. And we still have whoever whoever controls the Shadowlands, which is another another entity we don't know the full extent of. What we don't Odin deal with. We don't even know who that was. We don't yep. know what that being was. We know that Helia summoned it, so Helia was presumably could speak to it before she ended up creating her own kingdom in the Shadowlands. You know, and that's that's where her realm we, was. We went there. That that was in the Shadowlands. We've been to it. We know that that's where Helia we, was. And if you were so, a Death Knight, you've been there too. Yeah, but a separate, but a separate time in a separate place. A separate, there's, a separate subsection. Yeah, there's just so much going on here. We don't know to assume mm. any of them are on our, is on our side. I think Bolvar might want to preserve things the way they are right now. That doesn't make him on our side so much as it makes his goals the least inimical to us. But 
I don't feel like you can make the assumption for a second that Bolvar wouldn't kill you and everybody you know and turn you into soldiers in a heartbeat if it would give him an advantage in combat. See, and I think I think this is going to lead to Kalia Menethel being in, even more so important because of what she represents, what she is, and how that is sort of anemic or, or, or anathema to everything that's going on. Also, I'm right. going to talk about one more thing really fast Go for it. here. Arthas's plan was ultimately to turn the entire planet Azeroth into a giant undead world. Yep. Where we were all yep. undead. And that yep. was he believed that was the best way to fight the Legion. And presumably the old gods, although he doesn't mention the old gods. Now, here's the thing about that. The Legion is not beaten. No, it's, it's still out there. Currently, It's currently fragmented. It doesn't have a central command. It's leaderless, we yeah. We, we don't know. But demons still if, exist. Yeah, not only that... We don't actually know if Kil'jaeden and Archimonde can come back. I mean, it looks like they haven't, and Antorus seems to be down for now. Antorus was the forge that did all of that, but... But we know that demons were coming back from the dead to haunt us before Antorus. Mm -hmm. Before Sargeras was head of the... In fact, that's why Sargeras built Mardum in the first place. Because he knew... I, I got to find a place to hold these guys. They can come back kill and do this. And both Archimonde and Kill Jaden were incredibly powerful demons. Can, can they still come back? We don't know the answer to that question. So at any moment, the Legion could come back. And that's like, that's not even assuming Sargeras gets out. Because right now, Sargeras looks pretty securely held. He's locked up inside the, the throne of the Pantheon with all of the other Titans and Illidan. And Illidan's mad and just kind of taking out all of his aggression on this giant titan-shaped punching bag that they've delivered unto him. Yeah. You'd think that that means that he's held, but it doesn't... We've seen what happens with things that are being held before. Heck, Nazoth was held for how long and now he's out? So there's a lot going on that we have yet to really understand. I mean, God, for that matter, look at the violet hold. Yeah. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Still getting out of there all the time. I, I keep coming back to this idea that what's coming next, like it might even be what Nazoth really wanted. Like Nazoth attacking the world blatantly, like he's gonna in 8.3. It doesn't really feel like Nazoth, does it? No. Nazoth is the guy who manipulates. Nazoth is the guy who pit, who pits enemies of his against other enemies of his. Zoth is the guy who waited so patiently for so long to finally be freed. And you'll note that for all that Ashara thought she had him, Nazoth got what he wanted. Of the two of them, for all, the, for all of Ashara's intelligence and power, she didn't really understand what she was dealing with, and she ended up the one he took away with Here's it. the part that kind of worries me about all of that, is that, you know, Sylvana seems to be content to let us go do our thing because she knows that we can defeat Nazoth or whatever, right? So... Ashara was also pretty confident in the fact that she could beat Nazoth or whatever, and um, she was the most powerful sorceress on Azeroth, and he took care of her like... So... I don't know what we're looking at here. I don't know if it's going to be resolved in 8.3. Again, I'm still kind of like on the fence here, because people are saying that this whole... The the fact that we've got these data mined um, models and things like that means that maybe we are headed into an expansion of undead... Maybe we're headed back into, you know, Lich King Park 2, Electric Boogaloo, or whatever you want to call it, right? There are also people who are like, well, <laughs> there's mostly just me now, <laughs> but who's who are hoping that whatever it is we're trying to do in 8.3, we don't do it. And the next 
expansion is going to be like the Black Empire all over again, which I think would be kind of cool too. I don't know. What do you guys think? Do you think this is pointing at an undead expansion? I mean, BlizzCon is in two weeks pretty much. So we're going to know yeah, one way or another. Yeah. What do you guys think? Well, well, yeah. I'm going to let Joe go first. I was going to say, I think a Black Empire expansion might not be too far off the mark, but I don't think it's going to be all old God all the time. I think that it's going to refer to something else because I mean, look at all the threads we are pulling on. Look at every, look at everything we just laid out. Like, and I don't know if we are going to get true closure this expansion either. And the reason I say that is because talking about like what's happening with Nazoth and in and, and the future, there's something that I find really interesting that ties back in with this and ties back in with death, which is at one point in 8.3, we know that Rathian and Ebonhorn come under attack again by Nazoth as far as like the influence of them on the Black Dragon flight. But we learn that it's not because of any like f- direct uh, assail on them necessarily. It's through the remains of, you know, the Black Dragon flight, the dead dra- Black Dragons. Like there's an entire scenario around doing this. Like it's 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 one of those things where it's like it's so if there is going to be a Black Empire, I don't think it's necessarily going to be 100 percent like old Gotti or void based. I think it's going to be something different. I think that might be the whole death thing coming back again. I, I know that one of the things we we have data mined and again, it's data mined. So we don't we can't like we can't go, OK, this is settled then. But Janus flat out says to Anduin in the data mine conversation, the old god has been vanquished. So I don't think we're going to be at the end of this, be like, oh, we didn't succeed. And that's why we're going into a black empire type thing. I think that at the end of this, it will at least appear that Nazoth is beaten. If I don't know how that's going to work. I don't know if we're going to actually do like, again, this requires some data mine conversations. But one of the things we have is a scene where we go, we go deal with Ashara. We get Ashara free from Nazoth. And she's like, okay, I'll tell you what I was going to do that you screwed up. And she informs people, I, you know, the reason I went so hard to get that dagger, the reason I made the deal with Savas was because I was going to stab him with it because the, the dagger is one of the few things that can affect an old god because it is an old god. Mm-hmm. And so I think that dagger is going to get used. Here's the thing, though. Nazoth was smart enough to get the old god spirit out of the dagger. He let Zalatath go. Why would he do that? So was Zalatath a piece of another old god or was Zalatath its own we don't know. old god like we the one know. that's under Hydal maybe well maybe. i mean we there there is a case to be made that because it was a piece of an old god just sort of like how Gahun speaking was of which when i say god. there's an old god under Hydal that's just me like speculating guys there may not be an old <laughs> god under but i still think that there's an old god under Hydal that's just me okay go ahead sorry no, I was gonna. I was just gonna say we know that like an old god was able to be sprung up and brought back to life from a piece of old god because Cahun existed, and we know that the Black Empires, all of the old gods that gave they gave pieces of themselves to their most trusted followers as weapons. We, those in theory could all be out there and all be old gods in whatever capacity. Um, and I think Rossi raises a, a pretty dang good point. What the heck is Altath doing now? Now that that spirit's free. And what does that mean for the dagger? Is it just a dagger now? Or is it something that can be wielded to, I don't know, capture a spirit again of another old god, perhaps? Well, I mean, another way to look at it is this. There's the idea that some people have mentioned a few times that Zazalatath was a piece of Yashraj. And that with the death of Yashraj, 
it's obviously no longer tied to Yashraj because it's yeah. Yashraj is supposedly mm-hmm. dead. But that means that if you have a piece of something that if if you had let's take a starfish. If you cut up a starfish and kill most of the thing, but some of it is left out there, it can regrow into a new starfish. Not always, but it's physically possible for like if you lopped off a starfish arm, that starfish arm could become a new starfish. Can a piece of an old god become an entirely new old god if the original old god dies? Like, with how the do they reproduce? Is it by budding or? Like, and for that matter, if you take Zalatath's spirit out of the dagger and then you stab Nazoth with the dagger, does that kill him or does he just go into the dagger? And why would he want to go into the dagger after it had been just after it gets freed? Because remember, it it freed Zalatath from the dagger before it got freed. And Nazoth I think... wasn't completely free yet, and it freed Zalatath first. Why? Why did it do that? And yeah. to what end? I mean, why would it, it? It would not just hand a weapon capable of killing it to its enemies. It's not stupid. So. What's really going on here? What what layer are we on here? Like, you know, th- that whole idea about, you know, we drowned in the circle of stars. Where are we here? It, maybe the third death was always Nazoth's. Yeah, maybe. Remember, we were always, maybe it's Sylvanas, maybe it's Azeroth, maybe it's... Oh, know, what if what if it opens up that void gate or, or something like that nature? Because originally the void flung those pieces into the universe to, to sort of corrupt and, and, and spread its influence. And we know that when that happens at full capacity, like Koresh is a thing that is a great example of it. It is a world completely consumed by the void. What if that's the trigger? What if an old God, you know, quote unquote dying is what creates a gateway for just like with the Legion using all of their powerful gateways and magics to try to essentially teleport onto the planet what if that's how it initiates the corruption? Like, maybe that's why the Well of Eternity was forced to push all of its its magic back into itself. Not because it was, you know, necessarily killing the planet. It could have been. But maybe it was to keep it from becoming that gateway. And that was just later exploited in a different way. Because it was a terribly powerful thing. But I could see that because they, they keep talking about keys. They keep talking about the death. And what if this is the key? What if Zalatath the Blade is the key? What if that shell that happens or whatever happens when we shove that piece of not Nazoth into Nazoth, uh, and I'm on board with the it's not Nazoth, especially when you go back through all the Zalatath quotes and it talks about Zalatath, how much he hates it. Yeah, Zalatath had nothing but disdain for Nazoth. Oh, yeah. So what happens when those two things come together? What what do we create? What What short-sightedness are we focused on that keeps us from looking at the long-term effects, what we're going to do with this dagger. So I, I still think there's an interesting, like, I still think there's more to that whole thing too, but oh, yeah. that doesn't mean I, I don't think that we're going to get, I don't necessarily think that the next expansion is going to be black empire focused, but we're going to Nihilatha at the end of this expansion mm-hmm. and we're going to fight this off there. What do you think we're going to find in Nihilatha? Well, I mean, we've seen the art. It looks almost exactly like the pictures. I know, but from, do you think there are any like secrets in the sleeping city that we don't know about yet? I would almost certainly think there are. I mean, oh yeah, we know that there's going to be stuff there that we've seen before, various servants of the old gods. But I honestly feel like the fight with Nazoth is going to be something where we we've seen this the last fight of the last couple expansions. The last fight with Archimond doesn't at all wrap up the Legion. No, 
And the last fight in, in Legion is with Argus. And it reveals to us that the effects of, of the blood of a Titan and, and puts the sword into, the, into Azeroth and creates this whole situation that we've got now. So I feel like the last fight, we, we know that Nazoth has been piggybacking off of the attempt to save Azeroth this whole time. The heart of Azeroth was a gift to him. He wanted it created so that he could, you know, get out of his prison. I mean, heck, he was even piggybacking on the defeat of the Legion and Legion. Yeah. So when we fight Nizoth, we're going to find out something. I don't know what, but I definitely think there's a reason that Sylvanas is so sanguine about all this. Mm -hmm. And she even says, even the old gods serve death. Yep. There's there's going to be something that that's going to be revealed. I, I keep coming back to the entity that gave Odin the ability to raise Valkyrie in the first place, because everything else comes from that. Helia comes from that. The Lich King, he created his own Valkyrie. So it's that secret all over again. So much of the Lich King's power and influence, so much of Sylvanas's path to where she is now comes from interacting with Valkyrie. Mm -hmm. All of this stuff comes back to that, whatever that entity was. Or is. Know, was or is, or, you know, they may be the same thing and may be different here. Because we don't know what happened after it got Odin's eye either. Like yeah, what it did it, with it. Or why it needed it or wanted it. Mm -hmm. What is it doing with Odin's eye? Is it seeing through Odin's eye? Does it doesn't allow Odin's it to eye? affect the material plane as a result of it, essentially? Or does it, you know, does it use it as a scrying device? Can it scry on all things Titan now? Like, there's just... Oh, 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 okay. That's another thing, too, because what, what other places are under assault in 8.3 that we go and visit? They're Titan facilities, right? Yeah. yeah there's the uh, the one in... The ones we know about, for sure, are the one in Oldham and the, the shrines in, in Pandaria. We don't know well, of any others. So why why is the void all of a sudden capable of breaching these places? Because we know, like these were specifically designed by the Titans to do why very specific them? things and be warded. Why, why do them? they have access now? Why now? Yep. Why not before all this stuff started muck, mucking around? Like, did what it if take that, us? Oof. Did it take us freeing Nazoth to actually make that possible, or or was the the defenses brought down in this part of whatever the plan is that lives inside the Shadowlands. I don't know, but it's really interesting cuz again, I keep going back to what I experienced when I did the whole um event thing on the PTR in Pandaria. It's not just there's Mogu out there and they're doing stuff with blood again. Mm -hmm. So what are they doing? I I mean, I and honestly I'm expecting at some point to be holding up a sign that says the Mogu were right. I know, and I'm like, are they working for Nizoth at this point because that's not their mo. I don't think. I don't think they'd be working for Nizoth. I don't think they'd be working for an old god. I mean, even even the Thunder King, he was like working of his own volition, doing his own thing, and he kind of wanted. Yeah, did they want to subjugate sub subjugate things? Yeah, but again, that feels more like them it's, just kind of leaning on their default programming and trying to order it's, things. It's Tron all over again. It's programming. Yeah. But so, I mean, I, I keep, I keep going back now? to this too. But I think you're, I think you might, guys might be onto something too, because like thinking about the eye, thinking about Odin, Odin was like the leader of the Titan, like keepers, wasn't he? At one point, Odin he was, was the, the prime, prime designate. Yes. So he'd, he'd have all the security codes. He'd have all of the, the, everything for every facility on the planet, possibly on other planets as well. Like, I don't think Odin had, buried somewhere of... in his programming yeah well, I, don't, I don't think odin had much control over anything that wasn't on azeroth but 
In terms of stuff on Azeroth, though, he, as Prime Designate, he wouldn't need to have the security codes. He has, he has them. I'm yep. the Prime Designate. Exactly. He can just say, I am the Prime Designate, open. And now something and it will. And now something has a piece of him. Yeah. Well, I mean, let's 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 think of this in a funny and probably not all that realistic way, but a lot of times in movies there's hell, think of Avengers. Yeah. When Loki needs Hawkeye to get into that vault, Hawkeye needs a needs to get past an, an optical scanner. Yep. Well, if you need to get past an optical scanner, here's the eyeball. Mm-hmm. You know, by having that piece of eye, even if it's not that blatant, you've got a piece of Odin. You can yep. you can effectively speak as Odin. Yeah. And here's the question, though, and I keep coming back to this. Who did he give it to? Yeah, we still have no idea. And that entity that Helia originally summoned, even though she didn't want to. And keep that in mind, at all times, this none of this was stuff Helia wanted to do. Mm-hmm. Helia knew this was a bad idea. She's like, she's still want- annoyed at Odin for everything yeah. that happened. But but originally, before all this stuff went down, she, she Odin's like, you know, do this, and he's like, she's like, I'll do what you want, but you know, you really want to like bring the spirits of of our deceased back and put them in these new bodies. That seems kind of weird and not really like what we're supposed to be doing. Like, I get you're upset about these dragons, and now think about that. Odin always hated the dragons. Yep, resented them. So. In a way, I'm beginning to wonder if maybe we're looking at the wrong bad guy here. You're starting to wonder if maybe Odin is the one? Because that's where I was going with this. Yeah. Yeah, because what happened in Cataclysm? What Dragons happened ca- at I mean, the a lot end of, stuff of Cataclysm? Cataclysm? Yeah, but what happened at the end of Cataclysm? And what was maybe just a setup? Dragons gave up a whole bunch of their power now, didn't they? All of it. All of it. They expended all of their power. They expended the last of their powers. Those Dormu's hourglass shattered. The rest of them lost whatever it was they had that had. (laughs) They lost the power that Tyr empowered them with. Is this all? Wow. Okay. Go ahead, Rossi. I'm sorry. No, I think you were. That's pretty much where I was going with this. Odin made a deal with whatever this death being was. He made a pact in in exchange for the power to raise Valkyr. And to create his army of Stormforged, he made a deal. And we don't know, aside from his eye, we don't know what he gave. We know Just what like he we did. don't know what the tenets of the deal with Helia was with. Yeah. Now imagine this, though. Helia, we, we've always been presented with Helia rebelling against Odin as, as sort of an evil thing. What if it wasn't? What if Helia's rebellion isn't against I Odin. never thought it was an evil thing. And the funny part no, no, but is, no, here's the thing. Here's the thing. I keep going back. I actually went back to look it up because I was, I was trying to remember what exactly she said. When you defeat Helia at the end of the trial of valor, she's, she's got three different quotes. One of them is my reign cannot end. Okay. Yeah. Her reign uh, over the shadow, whatever. Damn you. Odin, damn you. Which again, totally understandable at this point and then the third one is he must not win yep he is she talking about odin is she talking about somebody else and what do we, what does she mean by winning yeah yeah i don't think we've seen the last of that either like i think that's i've always been really uncomfortable with this whole story with odin and helia specifically because he says one thing and she says another as far as how she came to be 
and it makes him look like a terrible person because he is a terrible person and yet we're allying with him we're doing all this stuff with him it's like it's it's like the Evan Blade. The Evan Blade is allying with the Lich King, and we know that's a terrible idea, but we do it anyway. What if we? What if the Warriors did the same thing? You know what well, I mean. I, mean I, I think I'm going to be quite upfront with you. As, as you're doing the Warrior stuff, and, and if you haven't played a Warrior, I, I recommend you do play one through Legion stuff and and read the books about each artifact because one of the artifacts is the War Swords of the Valajar, and one of those swords is is Odin's Fury, and the other is Helia's Wrath. Mm-hmm. And Helia is invested that blade with a lot of her power, and as a result, a lot of the story between Odin and Helia is in that book. And Odin presents it as he had no choice but to kill her because she was corrupted. That's what he tells you. That's what he presents. But the book is like, no, no, he she refused. So, which one of these is the truth, and which one of these is the Loken rewrite? If the book tells you that he's lying, the book that's in the Warrior Hall, yeah, I'm pretty I'm pretty comfortable going along with that idea. The thing that gets me is Odin did all this because he needed a sacrifice to do it, and he's like, you know, in order to to retrieve the spirits of the deceased, Odin would need Rykul to volunteer to become undead and take those spirits from the Shadowlands. And that's he, what a Val Valkyrie is. Yeah, and he didn't ask Hel. Well, he asked Hel. Yeah, she said no, and then he did it anyway. Here's the thing: he knew that he, none of them was willing to do it, and then he said, "All right, then I'll just do it by force." And Helia objected to that specifically. That's the thing Helia's like, you can't, and that's why he did it to her. And and keep in mind too, when he did it to her. They were arguing, and Helia was like, if you don't stop, I will return the Halls of Valor to Ulduar. I will put this place back, because I'm the one who raised it. You didn't raise it. I did. This is my magic keeping this place here. If you if you try and force this, if you try and do this thing, I'll put you back. And that's when he killed her and turned her it, into the first Valkyr. What if it wasn't him? I think it is him. That's the thing. What I if it was think... whatever was in that eyeball that he's using? See, that's what it... I don't think this is not a case where I think Odin is under outside control or has been corrupted. I think this is a case where Odin is showing the exact same thing the Mogu show. Odin is incapable of understanding freed will, free-willed organic beings. Sure. And okay. everything he does... He does because he th- he is responding to stimulus. He is a program, and that he is therefore easily manipulated. Helia was a was had moved on to being a living being. She was a tit- she was a titan forge. She wasn't a keeper, and she was living. And that's how he could kill her and make her an undead. The the Rykul he brought back in Stormforge bodies were all curse of flesh. They were all alive. Her spirit is what he twisted into a Valkyr. Because it had changed and had free will. So there's there's a lot going on here. I don't think he's just a conduit of of a, of a death entity. I think he is a pawn because he is incapable of grasping what he's dealing with. See, and I find a lot of this kind of like fascinating too because it the Titans have always been these creatures that were kind of larger than life, as it were, in, in the context of Warcraft lore. It's a lot easier to envision, oh, Sylvanas turned into a banshee, all that other stuff. We can talk to her and everything. Yeah, okay. You can kind of wrap your head around that. But when you start going on this larger scale with the Titans and the Titan Forge and everything else, it's so far removed from that 
intimate narrative that we have that more intimate one where it's like you know our heroes are the champions or anything like that that it's kind of hard to wrap your brain around does that make sense sure yeah so i don't know i'm just i'm kind of wondering like why hmm i'm trying to think of the right words here there's just there's something about that exchange between odin and helia and there's something about the way odin reacted to everything that was going on it's not there's something not right there and and rossi i think you're right i don't think it's a matter of him being corrupted by something i think it's a matter of him taking whatever measures he needed to take to do what he thought needed to be done look at what we've been talking about from the whole time though we when we talk about the titans versus the old gods yeah titans so don't understand the old gods that they had to try and study them they had Mm -hmm. to try and make one they had to set up they literally set up a place where they dissected them and ended up making one of their own, trying to figure them out. I think this is exactly the problem. The the Titan Forge that don't become Curse of Flesh, that don't evolve, for lack of a better word, that don't incorporate chaos into their order, that don't incorporate, like, you know, the, the wild insanity. They, they don't become beings that can make any decision. In a weird way, the entire universe goes back to the original struggle of light and, and shadow, light and void. And the void was created when light had eddies and and cast shadows inside of itself. There were dark spots where because it, it bunched up in other places. That's the moment where you get variation between them. That's the moment where you go from there's one true path on this side to there are no true paths because everything's true and anything's possible on the other side. You can't live in either of in either extreme. You can't live in a universe that does not have variation and potential and possibility it's stagnant there's no life if you can't if you have only one true path that you can believe in and that's it and it has to maintain rigidly all the you way can't through live in a realm yeah. of absolutes and you can't live in one where there's nothing that's true if nothing is ever true because everything is true even contradictory statements then you can never find your footing you can never figure out what to do you can never make a choice that's the thing that living things have what is how did he oh bloody hell algon algon how did he put it perhaps it is your imperfection that which grants you free will that allows you to persist in the face of cosmically calculated odds yeah odin's got to access succeed to succeed where the titan even the titans themselves have failed odin's got access to cosmically calculated odds but he doesn't have free the, will the x factor i was the, actually not, going to um I, it's funny that you brought up algon because i was going to bring him up where do you think he is right now he was supposed to be watching us or whatever he probably still is. I mean, you, do you think you, he's going to pop in at any point and go, um, hey guys, maybe, uh, maybe, maybe you should think about doing something else here? Or do you think he's going to? One of the things, one of the things that keeps coming to my mind when I think about this is Helia has a servant named Harbor. I was just going to bring that up. That's a servant. Yeah. Wait, go um, ahead. A servant named Harboron. Okay. Uh, actually, Joe, you go ahead since you were going to bring it up. I'll let you go. Well, no, I was going to say like it. it, it, it we've already seen that it's not just the Titans that this entire race of beings works with. Like, yes, we actually face a whole bunch of them. Uh, when we do the, the Argus fight, uh, you know, there's a whole, there's a whole bunch of them that we have to, to tussle with, but hell yes, has one in her employ. Like he's basically acting as uh, what we say, like Chiron essentially. Like he's, he's sort yeah, of the ferryman the ferryman on the ship of the dead. Yeah. Yeah. So like, What's to prevent Algalon from going to say, well, Odin's sort of like not doing what I thought he was supposed to be doing or what I was told to be doing. 
Talia, she's over here. We've dealt with her in the past. I'm going to go see what's up. Like, I'm wondering, and I've been wondering this for a while, if Helia's not dead, what else has she been doing? And has she been talking with the celestial beings? And there's a part when, when you, if you're a shadow priest, when you do the dungeon Maw of Souls, uh, Zalatath says, it was thought his kind was incorruptible. Mm-hmm. A lesson from my brothers, I suppose. And that's talking about Harboron, who is a constellar, just like Algalon. Remember that it was the, the murder of a constellar that pointed, that showed that Sargeras had fallen. Because a constellar showed up and was like, what are you doing? And Sargeras was like, I don't have time to explain to you. Stab. So the constellars aren't titans. No, they're a race that are allied they're, with the titans. Well, I don't think they're a race. I think they're creations. I just think that they're a, if you look at Elgon, El, you know, um, yeah, Elgon, when you, you go into the, uh, Bloody heck! Which one is it? It's the, it's the Mogu one with the dragon, the the see through. Mogushan vaults. Yeah, Mogushan vaults. I think that's what he is too. I think Elegon. The Constella- yeah, Elegon. The Constellars are a, an order of creation that is different than the Titan Forged Army. Yeah, the way that it's the way that it's described is that they're this race of mysterious celestial beings. They they weren't created by the Titans. They Basically, Amanthul called on the Constellar to observe the worlds that had been ordered. But, like, they weren't Titan-created. They are not Titan-forged. From what I know, it doesn't actually say what, where they come from. No. No, but it does refer to them as their own race, essentially. But but Algalon is definitely one of them, and Harbron seems to be another one of them as well. No, he absolutely and, is, because if you go to the Dungeon Journal, it flat out says he is. Yeah, but my point is just... There's also constellars in the Algalon, the Unmaker fight, mm-hmm. and they like they show up and they are helping out. No, you mean the Argus, Ar- the Unmaker? Yeah, the Argus, Argus fight. Yes, there's constellars during that fight, which the the Titans summon during it. So there's all this stuff going on. Uh, it's Agrimar was ordering Draenor when the constellar was murdered by Sargeras, because when the Burning Legion invaded its first world, Sargeras himself annihilated the Constellar charged with overseeing the unnamed planet. And Agrimar was ordering Draenor at the time and sensed that Constellar's death, leading to his confrontation with Sargeras. So Constellars are very powerful, probably more powerful than a prime designate. So the fact that one is serving Helia, serving her, implies some things. Fun story, and one I'm kind of curious about now. Okay, so Algalon apparently, like, supposedly he arrived in Ulduar because we killed Loken, because Loken was the prime designate, so, and it was the death of the prime designate that signaled the Observer, right? Yeah, well, Loken had stolen the title. He wasn't technically right. the prime Well, that's the thing, the, is, is like... He was recognized. Okay, so he was recognized as such. So it wasn't, it didn't have anything to do with the fact that Yogg-Saron had been freed. It was just that the prime designate had... The death of the Prime Designate was seen as the sign of systemic planetary corruption. In okay. other words, if the Prime Designate's dead, that's bad news. Well, I'm just kind of curious because, like I said, if Nazoth has been freed or whatever, then shouldn't that be something Algalon is concerned with, I guess? I don't know. I, I, I just I keep thinking that we should be seeing Algalon, and I'm wondering why we aren't. Like, where he's at, what he's doing. Did he leave the planet? Did he go someplace else? Or is he still watching us? And if he's watching us, is he just taking notes or like what? What is he doing? Well, he certainly was there long enough to do a pep battle. Yeah. Um... <laughs> oh, that was dumb. All right. Okay. I hate to cut us off here, but we are kind of running over time, so I think we need to wrap it up here. Um, and we 
we can continue this conversation next week if we need to. Um, I would encourage people, though, if you have any questions about the stuff that we've been talking about or if you have any questions about stuff that's popped up on the 8.3 PTR and you want us to discuss that in more detail, you can send us an email at podcast at blizzardwatch.com. Just put Lore Watch in the subject line so that we know that it's for this show. And also, if you are on the Blizzard Watch Discord, if you aren't, hey, maybe you should be. Join the community. Have some fun. If you aren't, or if you are, we do have a... Uh, podcasts and Q questions channel where you can drop podcast questions if you would like. Again, just make sure that you label those lore watch so that we know that it's for this show. Uh, as far as everything else goes, though, Blizzard Watch. It's made possible due to the generous contributions at patreon.com slash blizzardwatch and your continued support means that this podcast site and community is able to thrive and grow. Blizzard Watch supporters enjoy exclusive benefits like early access to the podcast, a better chance at having your question answered on our podcast or the queue, and an ads-free site experience. Final thoughts, you guys. Okay, it's two weeks till BlizzCon. The likelihood is that we're going to hear something about a next expansion. Something. I mean, it's likely... It's about that time of year where it seems like that sort of thing would be coming out. Do you think we're going to be dealing with all of this death stuff and continuing this Sylvanas story and all of that next expansion? Or do you think we're going to be diverting our attention somewhere else? And if so, where do you think we're going? What do you think we're going to be doing? Rossi, you go first this time. I definitely think we're going to be dealing with death. That is where I think we're going in this expansion. Um, I think there's just too many signs pointing towards it. Okay. Whether or not that means there's any more about the old gods, I couldn't tell you, but I definitely think there's going to be a death expansion. That's going to be the A story. What do you think, Joe? I agree that death is going to be the A story. I think that the vast majority of it is going to be dealing with the fallout of whatever happens. This expansion on that front, there's too much setup that we won't be doing that. However, I do think that the B story uh, just like we had in Legion that led us all the way back to Argus and that whole thing. Um, I still think at some point next expansion, we're going to wind up on Koresh and it's going to be a result of something. We do this expansion that we don't have the concept of what the effect is. And we're not going to find out what it is until after we're done dealing with story plot a and next expansion, which is likely the death stuff. Okay. I'm not sure where we're going. I mean, I thought that the Black, Black Empire would make a good expansion decision, but given given everything that we've discussed so far and given everything that we've been seeing in terms of like 8.3 and whatnot, it feels like maybe we will be wrapping up all this old God stuff for now and putting a pin in that, as it were. I don't know if vanquished is the correct term. I don't know if you can ever call the old gods, ever call them truly vanquished one way or another. I guess it depends on what we see in 8.3. Anyway, thank you guys so much for listening, and we will be back again next week. 